Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy Monday, everyone. I want to thank you for joining me for this week's teaching. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are watching me from around the world. My name is Krista Bontrager. I'm a Christian theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible as well as theological commentary on social issues. And today's teaching will be more along the line of a good old-fashioned direct presentation kind of Bible teaching. But first, story time. So for the last 14 months or so, the Lord has really been putting it on my heart to do an extended series of conversations on evangelism. And evangelism is this idea of how we share our faith with others. Now, the Lord and I have been kind of in an ongoing, on-again, off-again conversation about this issue, about doing the teachings, what it should look like, what should be the content. And trust me, it's been a very long conversation, largely because I've been fairly resistant. I have struggled against doing this series quite a bit. Quite frankly, I don't know if I'm the right person for the job, but I'm trusting the Lord to help me as I work on developing this. I have most of the teachings outlined and have a rough idea of what I'm doing, but this could be quite a long series. Um, it could be as many as 10 parts or more of a teaching series. I don't know if I will do them all in a row or whether I'll kind of do some here in the spring and then pick it up again in the summer. I'm not really sure what it's all going to look like. But hopefully you'll be along for the ride. And I will look forward to your feedback as the teaching series continues to develop. And um, just as I walk through it with the Lord, it's, teaching through things like this are always a journey, not only for the listener, but for me as well as I continue to study and research and learn and read and pray and all of that. Now, I'm sure this is stating the obvious, but we are living in a post-Christian culture. We seem to be reverting, I think, to full-blown paganism if things go uninterrupted, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this series. I'm hoping that evangelism will provide a bit of an interruption to our descent and our decline into paganism. Uh, but there is a growing thought of the value of under the the guise of kind of exploring our own individual nationalities and ethnicities to exploring also local worship culture and deities and that sort of a thing um and it seems like uh calling on demons and engaging in pagan practices is become mar much more respected than devout Christianity. This seems to be the trajectory that we are on. Recently, Monique and I um, did an entire episode 
on the radical socialist agenda that is currently uh, increasingly being embedded into our public school system through the rise of community schools. Um, we are constantly talking about how members of the alphabet community are trying to tr fundamentally transform our society and our culture. We've had, I don't know if you saw this or not, but there was a psychic doing a lot of tarot card reading around New Year's uh, on Fox News in primetime. And just a couple of weeks ago, a video was making the rounds of some kind of a shaman looking like a chicken blowing on participants uh, on a panel of, the, of world leaders at the World Economic Forum, one of whom is a prominent evangelical. I only cite all of these things to, to say there seems to be a full court press right now toward social revolution. This is where we are. And this is why, one of the reasons why I think that the Lord has really been putting it on my heart to do an extended teaching series, a real deep dive on evangelism. Now, I had originally planned to do this as a class, but uh, through various cir circumstances, I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this as a public teaching series and then turn it into a class later. But I think in a broad way, the answer to many of these problems is one of evangelism. And that's why we need to have a deep, deep dive about it for reasons that we're going to see today. Uh, this is going to be a lot more like a class than a bunch of hot takes, okay? Because I don't think that many Christians have really shifted their mind and their emotions to accepting the reality that we are living in a truly post-Christian culture. Now, Part of the reason I say this is that we haven't yet shifted our mind and our emotions to really understanding our current reality of living in a post-Christian culture is the nature of the questions that Monique and I receive regularly in public events. People regularly ask for our advice about how to handle conversations about race and issues related to critical social justice. And often our answer is something that sounds kind of like this. This sounds like an evangelism conversation. This sounds like a situation that needs the gospel, not just diplomacy. Now, this answer often catches people off guard. They are expecting us to give them some kind of communication technique to overcome a major obstacle related to their DEI training at their workplace or a, a magical thing that they can say that will disarm their progressive Christian family member. That's what they're expecting. But when we tell them that the root of the problem is likely a worldview difference that that the, the the greatest need is for the gospel 
to be preached. People are often confused by our answer. And, and they often don't really even seem to know how to make sense of what we're saying. It's very interesting. They haven't considered often that the gospel is is what is truly needed. They're so busy looking for uh, a particular technique of what to say to change the other person's mind in one conversation that it, it's just not even on their radar that what we have here is a worldview problem, that this is a completely different set of assumptions and completely different way of looking at the world. And we need the Holy Spirit to come do a work in that person's heart and mind. And we might have to walk a road with this person. And it might be a lot of conversations of a pre-evangelistic kind of a, a nature. And so um, we, and, and this is the data that makes me think that we aren't really tuned in yet emotionally and in our mindset of how deep we are into post-Christian culture. And that some of us might need to sharpen up our skills about how to share our faith. Another thing that Monique and I have noticed is that many Christians aren't even clear about what evangelism is anymore. For some people, they hear the word evangelism. They might think of images like a guy standing on a street corner, um, holding up signs and telling people that they're going to go to hell. They might think of a stadium situation, something like Billy Graham, you know, these are the images that often come up for us when we think about evangelism. I think to some degree, when our family, uh, we've been visiting churches the last couple of years and, and we see what other churches are doing, a lot of what is flying under the banner of evangelism is really more like community outreach. You know, let's have a work day to go clean up the graffiti and the trash in our city. Or let's start a food pantry. And it's it, evangelism has kind of shifted in many spaces to being more focused on social programs. And I'm going to call it innocuous outreach that do not include direct gospel presentation. And I think that this is the, the long-term fruit of this shift is that a lot of people just are not even clear anymore about the difference between social programs and actual evangelism. And those social programs, they can have their place at times. I'm not belittling those, but I want to clarify that they are not a replacement for direct gospel presentations. I think there's another sentiment that's out there that we've seen that, that is adding confusion to evangelism and 
contributing to why so many of us, I think, are not effective all the time in evangelism is that there's this sentiment by many people out there that um, just love people and use words if necessary. Have you ever seen this social media meme? This sentiment? Well, I, I'm going to say something because I want to help bring clarity to your mind. Loving people and using words if necessary is not evangelism. That strategy is nowhere employed in the New Testament. What we will see in this series is that evangelism involves, by its definition, a proclamation. Okay. It involves your speech. It involves saying words. And at some point in the loving people, you're going to have to be able to give an explanation of what the good news is and to call that person to repentance. I think another very real obstacle to evangelism is that almost half of millennial Christians don't believe or they're questioning the belief that evangelism is even moral, that it's the right thing to do. There was some Barna research a few years ago. You can go look this up. It's an article summarizing the research. It says almost half of practicing Christian millennials say evangelism is wrong. What's interesting to me about this graphic is that it's sort of summarizing by generation um, how people view different things related to their faith. Like, for example, the top one there says, part of my faith means being a witness about Christ. Well, 96% of millennials believe in that, as do Gen Xers, 97. That's, that's my generation. Boomers, 95. And then the elders, which would be like my mother's generation, 95. I mean, there's wide agreement that part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. Okay. There's wide agreement that the best thing that could happen to a person is for them to come to know Jesus. 94% of millennials believe that. Okay. 97, 97, 97 across the board with the other generations. But here is where it gets interesting is you come down to the the group of kind of circles there of the second line from the bottom it says it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that one that they will one day share the same faith that's evangelism well, 47% of millennials believe that it is wrong to share your personal beliefs in order to persuade someone from another faith to come be a Christian. 47%, like that's that's a big a big number whereas uh when you get to my generation it's about 27%, it's about a third. And then it goes down to 19 to 20% for the older generations, boomers and elders. So when you have almost half of Christians 
who are skeptical that they should engage in a project of evangelism, that, that's, that's going to be a problem. Right under this graphic, it says this, younger Christians tend to be more personally aware of the cultural temperature around spiritual conversations. Among practicing Christians, millennials report an average or median of four close friends or family members who practice a faith other than Christianity. Whereas in comparison, most of their boomer parents or grandparents have just one close friend or family member practices another faith. Sharing the gospel today is made harder than at any time in recent memory by overall cultural resistance to conversations that highlight people's differences. Society today also casts a negative light on proselytization that many older Christians do not fully appreciate. I think that these are very um, important points. They, the younger generation is much more concerned or worried about disagreements and judgments and how to handle those, those kinds of things in their friend group and um, in their, their close friends and family. There is, they have a much higher concern about experiencing those judgments but also being perceived as being judging. So I think that these are all things that kind of inhibit us from engaging in evangelism. But some people would go even farther. Some people, you know, at some percentage of those 47% of millennials who, who, who don't believe that it's right to share their faith, I think some percentage of those people go even farther by saying that evangelism is a form of racism. And this is a graphic that illustrates covert versus um, overt racism. And you can see many of these kinds of graphics on the internet, but this one in particular is interesting. Um, our friend Neil Shenvey uh, pointed this out to us as this particular version of the overt versus covert racism chart in the bottom right-hand corner, it says mission trips. It lists mission trips as a form of, co of covert racism. So it sees going on a mission trip as being similar to saying things like all lives matter or um, it's another good one here. Uh, there's only one human race that uh, if you're invalidating or disbelieving a person of color's experiences with racism, microaggressions, talking about uh, picking yourself up by your bootstraps, Eurocentric school curricula. These are all forms of covert, undercover racism. And alongside of those is mission trips. Mission trips is seen by an increasing number of people as being a form of covert racism. This is a lot of obstacles. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot of the reasons why 
we struggle to evangelize, to share our faith. Another obstacle complicating our efforts of evangelism is that many Christians don't even really know what the gospel is. They don't even know how to share the basic facts of the gospel or what constitutes as the gospel. Somewhat related is what I call the Americanized gospel. And we will um, kind of look at this in some detail in the future. But when I think about the gospel and we talk about gospel presentations, it's usually something like talks about the forgiveness of sins, you know, so kind of clean start. This is how you go to heaven. Um, you, this is how you escape hell and eternal damnation, have a personal relationship with God, make a personal decision, pray the sinner's prayer, have it holds or call. Um, these are the basic ideas of the Americanized gospel. Now, when we think about this, sometimes I might even throw in here a version or sometimes it's an implicit or subtle narrative that we give to non-Christians that if they become a Christian, their Christian, their problems will be solved. That they will actually be more wealthy and prosperous. That their, their problems and, and all of their addictions will instantly go away. So sometimes that's also part of our our Americanized gospel, if you will. I'm going to play a one-minute video right now by evangelist Greg Laurie, who is the does a lot of stadium gospel presentations. He's probably arguably one of the um, most public evangelists of our time. Bob's going to play this really short one-minute video, but I think it this kind of typifies a lot of the themes that we see of what constitutes the gospel in many people's minds today. The gospel, it means good news. And there's some good news and bad news in the gospel message. The bad news is I'm a sinner. I've broken God's commandments and I've fallen short of God's standards. The good news is God loved me so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And Jesus rose again from the dead three days later, and he's alive and ready to come into your life, just like he came into my life. Would you like to ask Christ to come into your life? If so, let's do that right now. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Everybody pray. Father, I pray for everybody watching this right now. If there's anyone there that does not yet know you, I pray that this would be the moment they believe. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you would like Christ to come into your life, if you would like your sin forgiven, if you would like to go to heaven when you die, why don't you just raise your hand up? Wherever you are, raise up your hand. Raise up your hand saying, I need Jesus. Now, if you just raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Again, pray this prayer out loud after me. 
Just pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I repent of my sin. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For you that are watching online, why don't you type in there and say, I just prayed with Pastor Greg asking Christ to come into my life. That way we can get in touch with you and encourage you in this commitment you've made. You know, there's a lot happening there, but I think this is a very typical kind of gospel presentation. But think about it for a minute. Think about if you are a non-Christian, you're unchurched, you've really never been to church, or maybe you've only been to church maybe a handful of times. There's a lot happening there. Like, what does it mean to be a sinner? What does it mean to mean that Jesus is my savior? Wait, I prayed this prayer and now you want to talk to me about a commitment? What What is the commitment that I just made? Did, did I know that? Um, was there a conversation about repentance? Um, this, this is that like, I would have a lot of questions as a, as a non-Christian, like, what did I, what did I just do? What is the meaning of this? And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong or heretical about this gospel presentation. And I'm not trying to pick on Greg Laurie per se. I'm, I'm, I think what he's doing here is just very, very typical of what I call the Americanized gospel. I do think, though, that this is a fairly truncated presentation of our faith. And I, I get it that it was, you know, it was happening in like 90 seconds or, or so. But that aside, <clears throat> this is what we have been conditioned and programmed to believe is what a gospel presentation looks like. And I do have concerns about some of the the language that we use in our Americanized gospel presentations, walking people through the sinner's prayer and that kind of a thing. And so I'm, again, I'm not trying to pick on Greg Laurie, try to um, not get hung up on the who, but just looking at the method. I think the method is very, very common when it comes to evangelism. And this is what I'm referring to is to like, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that most of us would know how to share the gospel though, that we really know what it's about. Like what was Jesus really doing up on that cross? Really? Like what was happening there? And what does that mean to repent or forgive? And I, I I don't think Greg Laurie even mentioned repentance. Like there are so many gospel presentations that I hear where repentance isn't even mentioned. And yet, as we're going to see next week, repentance is a key theme of the gospel in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and in the ministry of Jesus. So this is, I think we're, we need to do some work on what is it exactly? What does it exactly mean to become a Christian? Okay. Um, 
so, and again, I'm not, I don't want to be overly critical about approaches like this because the, the research shows that the vast majority of us are not sharing the gospel with anyone. Okay. So I want to have like show a praiseworthy effort here. I'm not again, trying to, to just, um, put these people on blast who, who use the sinner's prayer approach, but I also have concerns about it. And I want to explore that in future teachings. But um, I think that we have to take some personal inventory of why it is that we do not share our faith. Is it fear? I don't want to believe it's apathy. But it might be. It might be something to ask the Lord about if if that's in play for any of us. What about a lack of confidence? Are there some things and obstacles in my own self-concept that cause me to not be confident when I share my faith? Or is it just a matter of I don't have the information? Is that what causes my lack of confidence? These are a few of the reasons that I hear people give about why they don't share their faith. Another reason I often hear is that engaging in evangelism is often awkward. So challenging conversations, questions might come up that I don't know the answers to. Many of us are conflict averse. We don't want to risk potentially damaging relationships with friends and family members. One that comes up a lot that I hear is people say, well, I'm an introvert. I can't share my faith. I don't want to talk to people because I'm an introvert. That's in- it's an interesting reason. I don't, I, I'm kind of a skeptic, to be honest, of the whole introvert, extrovert, designation. I'm not sure it's a thing. I'm really not. Um, I, I, side tangent, um, I think the introvert extrovert conversation is more about personal preferences. I, I don't think it's as hardwired as a lot of people think because all of us are introverts about some things and all of us are extroverts about some things. If, if a conversation at a, at a party with 50 people suddenly shifts to Um, a topic that an introvert is really interested in, all of a sudden they start sounding like an extrovert. I'm just kind of a general skeptic of, of that whole thing. Anyways, I do wonder at times whether introverts sometimes use this as like a cover story or a different issue of, I, I feel like I lack knowledge or I just don't like people. Some people just don't like people. Could it be apathy? And then we use being an introvert as a cover story for the apathy. I don't know. These are things I would encourage you to talk to the Lord about in your own journey. Of what are the obstacles? Like, try to go a little deeper in your reflection than just off the top of my head, here's what it is. I would encourage you to really start engaging in a deeper conversation with the Lord about what those obstacles are for you. 
Sometimes people tell me that they don't share their faith because they don't have the gift of evangelism. We will address that in, in some measure in a future teaching. Uh, the whole gift of evangelism and who should be doing the evangelism and all of that kind of a thing. So I think that while most of us know that according to Barna, like 95 to 97% of us as Christians know and believe that sharing our faith is important, gospel presentations are important, and that Jesus has, has commanded us to do that in the Great Commission, telling us to go and make disciples of all the nations. The truth is, we don't do it. Many of us are just struggling to obey this very basic commandment that is given to all of us. It, it, it's a struggle. And I call this noticing. Like, can we just notice? Can we just look and have a moment of honesty that this thing that Jesus told us is a core part of who we are as Christians and that thing that we should be doing, we don't do it. How many of us as parents, like, we're telling our kid to take the trash out every week and like, are we still having this conversation? We, I tell you to take the trash out every Sunday. You should know by now, take the trash out on every Sunday. I shouldn't have to tell you all the time. And yet we have the log in our own eye of I don't do this thing that my heavenly father has told me ought to be a very high priority for me. I don't do it. This is why I entitled this episode Real Talk About Evangelism Breakdown. Like, let's just have a pause in our in our lives to just look at something and to notice, I might see this is important, but do my life choices, are my life choices congruent with that? What are my actual commitments? We are confused about what evangelism is, how to define it, how to do it, whether we should do it. This series on evangelism is going to take a while <laughs> because there's a lot of things to sort through and to straighten out, okay? So we're going to start with something very simple today as we round out our time together, and that is a very simple definition of the gospel. Now, in later episodes, we'll talk about strategies and prayer strategies, conversation strategies, lifestyle decisions, and the nuts and bolts of what to include in a gospel presentation. We will get to all of those matters. But today we're just going to focus on defining what the word gospel even means. So let's just start with a very basic definition. Bob's going to put it on the screen for you. The word gospel literally means good news or glad tidings, or joyful news, okay? It comes from the Greek word euangelion. This is where we get the English word for evangelism, 
okay, is the Greek word euangelion. Now, evangelism, the gospel, and good news are basically all synonyms for the same thing. They all have the same root. And they are speaking of the act of spreading that good news, as well as the content that is contained in that good news. That's what it is, okay? So one of the most common passages, <coughs> sorry, that is used to define the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to close out our time today by looking and doing a deep dive on 1 Corinthians 15. And so let's look at that on Bible Gateway. And today I'm using the New International Version. So we're just going to start reading through this and discussing it together. Okay, it's starting in verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 15. I encourage you to get your Bible, read along, take some notes, circle some things, get your pencil, do all of that. Be interactive with God's Word. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, okay? So right out of the gate, we have this word, euangelion, all right? I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to it. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and at last he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. But I want you, I, what I want you to notice in this first chunk of, of this passage is that Paul is telling us, he's reminding us of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, verse 2 says, by this good news, by this euangelion, you are saved. So this is very important good news. This is good news like... You have never heard before. This is life-changing good news. Many of us have had life-changing bad news in our lives. This is life-changing good news. Okay? If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. This is a critical theme here. This good news is so important that if you don't believe in it, you, you will not be saved. But if it is not true, you have believed in in something that is pretend, that is that is no good. It is in vain. Okay, now what is this good news? That Christ died, and he was buried, and then he rose again, and then he appeared. That is a summary of the good news 
here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, we're going to see next week, we're going to start in Matthew and go through the Gospels and have a survey of what the good news was in the ministry of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about what is the good news for the apostles. What did they preach in the book of Acts? Okay. So what we don't want to fall into is this kind of truncated view of the gospel that this is all that it is, the 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 death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is that, but it's not merely that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna explore that in some detail in the next two weeks. Okay, let's pick it up at verse nine. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his, gra- his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we teach, meaning we the apostles. This is what you believe. You want to make sure that you're not believing in any old good news. Not Just not any old good news will save you. It's a particular piece of good news that will save you. This is what must be preached and what must be believed. Now notice, we're going to see this in the following two weeks. It's not enough just to love people silently and use words if necessary. No, it must be preached. It must be proclaimed. Our words will are vital to the gospel. It is linked to the gospel. Picking up at verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, in other words, the Messiah has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, if this is not a true story, if this is not good news based on truth, it will not save you. This is not the same thing as wishing on a star. This is not the same thing as, I hope this happens. This is a belief in something that is historically true, okay? And if, let's see, let's pick it up in verse 15. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. We are liars if this isn't true. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise is but He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, the Christians who have already died. It is, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, this is not something that just brings meaning and purpose and value to your life. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity, following Jesus, has theological implications but they're rooted and grounded in history. The foundation is, did it happen? Is it true? Is it real? If it's real, if it's true, 
if it really happened, then this theology follows and is built on top of that firm foundation. This is not wishing on a star. This is faith is not believing in something that you hope to be true or that you wish to be true. The gospel, the good news is that something has changed in history. Something new has happened. Okay, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Verse 20, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first to rise. And because he rose, we too will rise. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. In other words, Christ is the first resurrected. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, because he died and rose again, we too will rise again. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Okay. That's the big picture of where we're going to go next week. We're going to get into the kingdom of God. This is part of the good news. All right. And so we're going to just leave it there in 1 Corinthians 15. But what I want you to know is I think you should already be able to see that this version of the good news is a little different than the Americanized gospel. It's not just about accepting Jesus into our hearts, okay, which is a phrase that is nowhere in Scripture. The New Testament vision of this good news is that something has happened in history, and history was never the same. And that thing that happened, part of which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It has brought about a new view of reality. It's a new worldview. While we as Christians are inviting people to put their faith, hope, and confidence in Jesus as their Savior, we are also doing much more than that. We are inviting them to embrace an entirely different way of seeing reality. We are providing them a completely alternative framework for making life decisions. When we are inviting people to Christ, we are not merely inviting them to get their sins forgiven. When Greg Laurie says at the end, you know, slip us a little card so we can talk to you about the commitments you've just made. We have to kind of front load and disclose what some of those commitments are up front because we are not merely inviting people to get their sins forgiven or to go to heaven or to get a ticket out of hell. We are doing much more than that. We are inviting people to have a completely different worldview. 
following Jesus is not something I simply add to my existing life. It's something that completely reorients my life in a different direction, with a different perspective, a different loyalty, a different allegiance, and different values. Okay, I'm going to put a bookmark there for right now. I've entitled this teaching series, Everyday Evangelism. And again, this will be many teachings over time because there is a lot to unravel. We'll be back next week with another live teaching. I'm going to be doing a deep investigation into the ministry of Jesus. And what was the nature of the good news that he preached? All right, my friends, we're going to put a bookmark right there. Thank you for joining me. I do hope that you will share this content with others, that you will find it a blessing in your life, and that it will encourage you to start your own conversation with the Lord. Look, it took me 14 months to get here just to do this. So um, I do want to encourage you. I know this is sometimes a hard and difficult discussion, but I want to encourage each and every one of you to get in a conversation with the Lord and begin to ask him to teach you about how to share your faith. Good day, have a great week, and God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.